Hi there. Welcome. We look forward to you joining us as we, uh, the Bearded Bible Brothers, have a conversation. I am your bearded host, Josiah Marshall. And I'm your other bearded host, Matt Crosswhite. We like beards. <laughs> we love beards. Yes, we and do. if you if you are not a bearded person, either because you are a female or because you choose to shave your chin every morning, we do not hold that against you. You are still welcome here, but we have beards and we are fond of them. Yes, we are. We are not scholars, but nor are we uh, trained individuals in the topics that we'll be discussing, but... Uh, we are just two brothers who enjoy having these conversations and look forward to you joining us in them. Um, and if you have any negative comments, comments, whatever they may be, we look forward to you sending them in and joining our, in, our, in our conversation uh, in the episodes to come. So, so let's jump in together and start today's study. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bearded Bible Brothers. Today, we are going to do a standalone episode, but also what we hope will be a, a theme as we move forward. We're going to talk about books. Yay! Books that, that each, <laughs> yes, <books laughs> each read that help to shape our thinking on and uh, how we arrived at who we are today and and the things that we think of today. And we want to do this every every once in a while here on the podcast so that um, when we finish up a series of various different kinds, just have a conversation. Hey, what have you been reading recently? What have I been reading recently? And and get to share because we're both kind of nerdy like that. If oh, you haven't boy. picked up at this point, um, Josiah, you actually used to uh, own, operate a, a rare book online retail store yeah i did it it, it was <laughs> was I, I not supposed to bring that up <laughs> no no that's fine that's fine um uh it, it definitely fed my hobby and my hobby fed my <laughs> my store so it it it, it, it was a as monk would put it from the monk tv show it was a blessing and a curse it was a blessing because i got to <laughs> got to meet so many great people and get to introduce to so many other new books um and then it was a curse because <laughs> Uh, I tell you what, uh, picking up a large box of books over and over again, it can wear the body out for one. <laughs> and oh. then two, it can wear on the patience of a very loving and considerate wife when you have hot 5,000 books in a two-bedroom condo. <laughs> 5,000 books in it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. When my it, wife would never allow that. <laughs> never. I don't know how she did. Um, so one of the things I used to do at the bookstore was that I would take on clients who were wanting to uh, get rid of a library. So I would basically do what's called consignment. But um, really, I would just act as a go-between in getting those books to someone who needed them. Because sometimes I was transferring an entire library from one organization to another. Um that happened with a, with a church here in Utah, actually. They were trying to get rid of some uh, music books. And I got a hold, I knew of a school that was in need of something. So I talked to them. They said, hey, we could use even more. And so I was able to facilitate that exchange. And so it was really cool. But 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it doesn't help. We, we moved about nine months ago to, uh, uh, and, um, <laughs> before we moved, I looked at my wife cause I still had some stuff left over from the bookstore and I said, I, I can't, I can't carry these. I want them. I would love to keep them. I can't do it. And so I broke down and had to, uh, give some away, but it was, it was good mm-hmm. because it went to some good, it went into good hands. But at the same time, it's like, no, I want the books. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some, what, what have been some of the books, maybe not that you've read recently, but tell us about some of the books that you've read that really had a, a large impact on your thinking or, mm-hmm. or was a big shift for you in life. What are some of the books that shaped Josiah? You know, I was thinking about that yesterday. And um, one of the things I was thinking about was, what are some of the first books I started reading? My my dad had a library. Uh, I was already a bibliophile, as they call it. And I would go down to the local library in our tiny little town in southern Utah. And I'd spend hours in there. I became an unofficial librarian. <laughs> <laughs> they'd say like Josiah I can't find this book it's not in the right spot oh I actually just saw that on the shelf over here so they wow. would leave this is this is an 11 year old kid I, they would the librarian would come up to me and say hey I gotta run out and do something real quick can you hold down the fort yeah sure <laughs> so oh, I'd come wow. behind the desk and I'd, I'd look at the person on the computer and I'd check out the book to them. It's like, oh, man, they're leaving an 11-year-old to do this. But, hey, it was a blast. But um, That's so cool. Um, I, I, I have a picture um, when, uh, see, I was probably two years old. And there was this old Bible set. And it was, um, I can't remember the exact name, but it was kind of a tan cover. And it was a series. And it was a Bible commentary set. And it had all sorts okay. of pictures in it. And my my mother came in came in the living room one day because we didn't have a TV. I didn't grow up with one. It was always either books or it was records. So with the books, I'd take those things and I'd, and I'd lay them out around me in a complete circle. And she says you would sit there and you'd spin around and you'd grab a book, read it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Set that down, spin over here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'd just go in this circle. <laughs> just looking through oh these books gosh. and my dad even has a picture of me sitting in his in his comfy chair in his office with one of his um uh i think it was one of a copy of his international bible um uh, uh series and um he, I've, I've got his he's got a lamp right and that lamp is right down in here right under my face <laughs> and it's amazing i could even see the book because oh, I really wanted to be able to see that book, right? But anyway, <laughs> um, despite my experiences with books, um, I became a very avid reader at a young age. And um, as odd as this is going to sound, one of the first books that really started to make an impact for me was probably, um, yeah, it was Stuart Little by E.B. White. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was, there was something about the quality of the character and just the personality of the character and the adventures attitude of the character that really got me on, on many levels. I read that book through when I was seven. I started reading it when I was seven and I finished it when I was eight. It took me a while to read it by myself, but after I read it for the first time, I read it through again, probably six times. 
in about, oh, wow. I don't know, maybe a couple of years' time. And mm. every time I read it, um, there were different aspects of the story that just spoke to me on several levels. And at times I always felt like the mouse. I was small in a big world that I didn't understand. Or um, I was small and navigating a world that just seemed a little too um, big for me. Um, but uh, it was definitely one of those first books that, that really captured me where I was at and gave me vocabulary, gave me pictures, gave me an imagination to be able to see that world around me and to be able to treat it in a way that didn't make it so imposing, didn't make it so fearful. And yeah. for me, it just became a lifelong lifelong book that even even today, I'll, I'll even sit down. Let's see, I haven't read it in a few years, honestly, but um, I have sat down even as an adult and just read it. I read it to my kids. My son loves it. Um, showed mm -hmm. him the, 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 the Michael J. Fox live action movie, which was a blast. But... Um, yeah, as odd as it may seem, that was one of the first books, but one of the first series was the Illustrated Classics. You remember those? Illustrated? No, tell okay. me. So it's a book. It's hard. Usually hardcovers. Those are the ones I always got. Was the hardcovers? I wouldn't do the paperbacks because I always liked the hardcovers because I like how they felt. They were just they were meaty. <laughs> and, uh, these Josiah, were... your your nerd is showing. <laughs> Oh no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so anyways, uh so going from Stuart Little, which E. B. White, I enjoyed him. I I enjoyed some of his other books, in, including Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web, I remember when I was seven years old, I was hanging over that tooth at my grandparents' house and it popped right out in the during the movie of Charlotte's Web when the goose and the rat were were singing at the carnival affairs affair to boom smorgasbord, mortgageboard, mortgageboard. And here I am waving my tooth around going, I lost my first tooth. Oh, <laughs> so my gosh. I had, I had a great, great, great memories with E.B. White. But the illustrated classics, they were the classical stories of, say, uh, The Man in the Iron Mask, Swiss Family Robinson, Count of Monte Cristo, oh. um, Daniel Car uh, Caruso, and all of these books. And um, after e after E.B. White, which was – I really liked a lot of the languages he used, he used very – um, very simple yet elegant language but when you get into these classics i really felt like i was digging in a little deeper and it really had an effect on how um i saw myself for one but how i interacted with others and why really? i interacted with others count of monte cristo was probably my favorite story next okay. to gulliver's travels by jonathan swift and those books, I still have the entire set today. They're in my kid's library, and he's a voracious reader, and he's already gone through a few of them. So nice. Um, that's just to name a few off the top of my head. So let's let's spin that question back to you. What are some books that has definitely influenced you in your growth of becoming Matt Crosswhite? Well, I too have been giving this some thought, going through the mental libraries yeah. of to see what what were some of the ones that were really foundational mm. um i grow up with a love of books like you did so i think the first one that really had a big impact on me and in ways that uh, years later i would look back and go oh that's where it all started 
Mm. So I think it was junior or senior year of high school, I don't remember. I took um, a sci-fi literature class because I needed another English class. Again, oh, wasn't a sounding big... fun already. <laughs> um, so in the first quarter of the class, we read Ender's Game by oh, Orson Scott, Scott Card. Yes, yes. And that was good. It was a good entertaining book. Uh -huh. um, but in the second quarter of the class, we read Speaker for the Dead. Oh, and really? yes, have you read? You've read it. I have not read that one. Oh, I know it's all, all right. Add it to one. your reading list. That book. Thanks. I, I, I haven't fact checked this, but I, I was told that Orson Scott Card wanted to read Speaker for the Dead. That, that was the story he wanted to tell. He wanted to write that. Mm -hmm. He wrote it and then realized it didn't make sense. So he wrote Ender's Game to be the introduction of all the characters. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but Speaker I've actually heard that Dead, same thing. I have heard that. Oh, same okay. thing. excellent. Yeah. So it's very possible. Yeah, I think it's very probable. cool. So anyways. So Speaker for the Dead, um, I can look back at the time I was interested in drafting and engineering. Um, I would then go to college thinking that I wanted to be an engineer and found out how hard physics is and, and then changed course. And then later, later, I would go on to get my master's in counseling. And as I trace that journey, it started back with like the first lily pad to jump on, so to say, mm. was the dead. And I loved how the book, the main character is Ender from Ender's Game right. as an adult. Um, and, and what he does is he goes and he's half private investigator, half pastor. For yeah. lack of a better term yeah yeah i haven't read and the book but I, I understand bits of the story and so yeah it, it's definitely come down to more of a, a spiritual minister of some kind so yeah yes yeah and so when, when someone passed away he would go and basically eulogize them mm -hmm. but he would spend a month or two in their town and in their community interviewing a bunch of different people oh, interesting okay. and getting to know who they really were after having heard all of the different stories about him from the very biased perspectives, mm -hmm. he would put together a fairly accurate perspective of who the person was. And in his eulogizing them, he would share their insecurities, why they were a mean, angry drunk, or why they were what, whoever they were, he would share who they really genuinely were and and just lay it all out there and it was fantastic and and that's as i said tracing it back that's where my love of relationship and mm. people that would eventually lead into love of counseling that's that's where god first planted that seed as far as i'm aware mm. i yeah no. i have a book where in my teenage years it really um uh, because in your teenage years, you're usually finding yourself, right? And you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out wh where am I going? What do I want to do? And even at a young age, I always had, always had the idea I'd go and be a pastor, but, um, okay. really it wasn't until I was uh, 12 years old at a conference in St. George, uh, new covenant Christian center, I believe is what it was called. Yeah. Uh, the pastor at the time was a guy named Wayne Valadez. 
and uh, he was doing a conference. A guy named T.D. Hall was speaking, and um, during the course of that conference, I it was so clear you could almost I could almost imagine it was audible, but it's like I want mm. you to go be a missionary. It's like oh, okay. I don't necessarily know what that means, but even through the course of life, God God kind of made it clear you're being a missionary to Christians. You're going to be meeting them and where they're at, and just helping them with whatever's going on in life or if they have questions and so on and so forth. So I, I wouldn't always have the answers, of course, but I would, I would at least join them in that question and we would journey together in finding whatever God was wanting to speak to them at that time. And so when I was 12 years old, I really felt that calling to be a missionary. And at that time, I, I took it on the concept of a worldwide wish missionary. Sure. And so one of the books I ended up picking up at the suggestion of my dad was a guy named by the name of Watchman Nee. Yes. Which, and, which, which knee book? Oh, let's see. The first book I picked up by Watchman Nee was uh, spiritual authority. Okay. And then, um, uh, uh, or authority and no, excuse me, not spiritual authority, authority and power. Yeah. Authority. And, oh, good grief. I haven't picked that book up in a while, but yeah, it was on spiritual authority <laughs> and power. Um, and, uh, him, him, him differentiating the two and, and, and really it, I read several of his books. I read Christian life. Um, I read late normal Park. Christian life. Yeah. Uh, the normal that's the Christian one I'm familiar. Yes. And then, um, I read, uh, Leighton power of the soul. As a matter of fact, I was reading Leighton power of the soul for probably the third time when I met my wife. Um, <laughs> So that's an interesting side story of just how even books have been part of some very big events of my life. But yeah. when it came to Watchman Nee, I, I grew up with a lot of questions about who I was, um, partly because a lot of what I would do and a lot of things I would say and even who, who I felt like I was, was, um, uh, you know what, I'll just say often attacked. And so I was often made to feel like I was weird. Um, I was very out of sync with everybody else and that I was just too, too odd to really reckon with. I was like, okay, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just trying to be myself here. And listening to watch what reading Watchman Nee, especially sit, walk, stand, probably hmm. the most defining book. I remember reading it. Oh, man, I remember that day very vividly. Um, I was uh, I was 15 years old. Um, I took my bicycle down to my dad's office, which was in the basement of an annex behind the church that we attended. And um, I went in and I sat, I grabbed the book, I sat down and I started reading it. And I could only read I don't know, a few pages at a time. Nee's stuff is just so dense, right? Yes, in, in a good way. Yes, in a very good way. And, and Sit, Walk, Stand is a book where he's talking, uh, he's looking at Ephesians and he's looking through how there's these three elements that are active in, in, a, in, a, in a believer's uh, uh, life with God and that there's an element of sitting, sitting in his presence. There's an element of walking, walking out walking in the ways of that he said and right. then standing those moments where he's not calling us to move he's just calling us to just to stand and stand firm 
And as, as simple as that overview is, the book, I highly recommend it. If you got that book or you have access to it, go. It's it's a good book to read. But Watchmen Need for me became very um, formulary in my teenage years for starting to embed in me not just biblical truths, but also, I would say, a, almost a countercultural way of you looking at it. And I say countercultural mm-hmm. simply because Watchman Nee was not an American. <laughs> he was right. a Chinese pastor in the underground church of China. And so he had a more Eastern approach to Scripture. And I even remember those, those, those circulars in, in, in his book. It was just so eye-opening going, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. The body, the soul, and then the spirit. All of these concentral circles put in one another. And it's like, oh, that's such a great visual. I was, And so when I was 15 years old, I read that book for the first time. And that one just really grabbed me. And it really made me want to have not just a deeper walk with God, but even a more intentional walk with mm-hmm. God. And to... Yeah. And to be aware of the fact that any time that God would bring someone across my path, it wasn't always going to be my perspective that would save the day, so to speak. And more than that, if anything, reading Watchmen Nee also gave me the very defining uh, reality that God is a being. First of all, he is a person. And that, two, if he's a person, then he has a perspective of his own. And so my goal, my, my question with that was, what's his perspective? And so yes. sitting down and getting to talk with somebody was always so exciting because I get to hear their perspective on, on a scripture. And of course, I hear the words coming out of my own mouth and go, OK, that's my perspective. But but then to also say, well, let's look at what God's perspective is on this. And it became such uh, such an opportunity to, to really operate as I see it in scripture as believers assembling together. And encouraging each other, motivating each other to growing and and, and operating as a member of God's kingdom. And it was just, I I remember those books. It was just so exciting, especially being able to to go to my dad's office and sit there with just all these bookcases of books. (laughs) Um, um, I might post a picture of it. I don't know. Maybe I can bring it up and post, I guess. But even in my own own, own office during my my book-selling years, I had um, a grand total of, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine bookshelves in a in one office. Wow! And that wasn't counting the bookshelf that was in the closet, and the six or seven or ten boxes full of books in the closet, and that's not also counting the bookshelves that were in our storage room. <laughs> oh my goodness! Your poor wife. <laughs> I know, I know. And the funny thing is, is that she was a librarian at the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. And so she's got a love for books too, but even she'll look at me and go, uh, honey. Uh, <laughs> you I, have I a problem. I, yeah, that was one. But then also was, it was always the, uh, the my reading stack that I have by my bed right now. Um, it's probably about a little over two feet tall. And my, oh, my wife woke up one in the, one night a few, a few weeks ago and says, uh, honey, the dogs knocked over your pile last night. Could oh. you please clean those up? 
So, That's yeah, awesome. I, I'll admit, my name is Josiah Marshall, and I have a book problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say another... the first step is admitting it. Yep, the first step to fixing a problem is recognizing there is a problem. So, what's another book for you? <laughs> um, this this next one that I want to share is um, it it was not as foundational, like mm. life-changing for me, mm-hmm. but it shared some really terrific insights that I want to share with, with you and with our listening audience. Ooh, um, it was called Read for Your Life. And um, it was by Pat, oh dear, Pat somebody. Um, he he was a, the general manager of, uh, of a basketball team for a lot of years. Very, very smart, very, very well-read man. And yeah. as, as nerdy as it is, I, I read a book about reading books because uh, it's all about the importance of reading and how uh, our culture and our society is getting more and more functionally illiterate. Mm-hmm. You might know how to read, but you might as well not if you if you never actually pick up a book and read. Right. And... It, it was a really good book. In there, he he cited several different studies. He gives really practical tips on how to be quicker at reading. Mm-hmm. And he, the reason that most people get bored or get sleepy when reading is because you haven't been taught how to read at the rate at which your brain can process information. Right. So you're across the page slower than your brain and, and your brain gets tired of just sitting there. And so he gives some real practical, three really practical tips on how to speed up your reading so that it gets more of the brain engaged, so that you enjoy it. Um, and that, and he cites several studies that, um, I'm doing this from memory, but I think it was, one of the studies was that if you read, this, this assumes that you're reading about the same topic the whole time, mm-hmm. but if you read one book per week, which is actually very attainable, if, mm-hmm. if we turn off the, the TV and set our cell phone aside. One book a week is really not all that much. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I agree. Fifty-two. He said it. He cited a study that found that um, if you read fifty-two books a year mm-hmm. within three years, you will be a subject matter expert within your region. Mm. Five years, a national expert. Seven years, you will be an international expert on the topic. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty profound. It, it is. Just, and reading books. Yeah. And it's not like, again, that, that's a very achievable goal of one book per week. Right. So. And if they're so even it, like it, Matt Crosswhite, it's. Uh... <laughs> okay. So this what, guy. Is what are you going to say? He's, he'll, by his numbers, he even reads more than I do. Um, mostly because uh, he also loves his audiobooks, Right, Matt? Yes. Yes. Yes, and and my wife and I have learned how to listen faster, mm. and so mm. it's great to start with podcasts or or audiobooks that are simple, um, not like Shakespeare or something, but something that speaks in modern lingo. Uh-huh. And uh, if you want if you want to learn how to listen faster, take the the rate or the speed from one x one one time speed, right. just bump it up. So 1.25. And then when that gets very comfortable, bump up to 1.5, 2.5, 3.5, 4.5, 5.5, 6.5, 7.5, 8.5, 9.5, 10.5, 11.5, 12.5, 13.5, 14.5, 15.5, 16.
and challenge yourself to listen faster and faster. And so now Christy and I both max out whatever platform we're listening to. Certain apps only let you go two times the speed, um, but we, we really enjoy the apps that let you go three times the speed. Mm. And that's a fun because as you're driving or as you're walking the dog or whatever you're doing, it really challenges you. A lot of people I talk to can't do audiobooks because they say their mind wanders and then they forget where they were at and they have to rewind and find out where they've stopped listening. Yep. No, just listen. It'll engage the brain and it will, it will, uh, it, it's so much fun. So oh, yeah, yes, it really can I, be. Yeah. Three and four books in a week simply because of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's, in, I, I remember Matt telling me about that, that quote about earlier about uh, the, the years and how many books and so forth. And, and I, I find it fascinating. What a very similar book for me that was that, that, that did that same thing was mm-hmm. um, How to Read the Bible is Literature by Leland Riken. He was a professor mm-hmm. at Wheaton College, which tends to be a bit more uh, scholarly in their approach, I guess. Um, it okay. has a higher level of scholarship and, 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 and might I say in some regards, even te- intelligence um, uh, mm-hmm. with, with how they approach topics. But reading that book, it, it I, I remember when I was, I think, what was it? That might have been in my early 20s when I read that one. And it just blew my mind right open. I'm going, wait a minute. Because if there was anything as far as a foundational book for me when it came to even reading scripture, that book was foundational. Because it forced me to take off these rose-colored glasses, right, Mm. that that we can pick up, especially in the Christian culture. And it forced me to just be able to see it as, wait a minute, this is a book. And that sentence right there, while, while maybe great truths can be taken from it, it has a noun, it has a verb, it has an adjective, and so on. And so yep. that book really helped me, even me in, in my own way to kind of slow my own brain down because sometimes you'd read scripture and you just start trying to make all of these allegorical connections, metaphorical, you tried to pull something from it and put it into some f- sort of framework that I may have had in my head. And having had the books that I was into as a kid... I was very much eager and willing to put myself in a, another world. Um, yeah. The Swiss Family Robinson books. Oh, that was mm-hmm. that was a fun book to put your head into. Um, and then uh, Robinson Crusoe by Jan- Daniel Defoy. Um, he, uh, yeah, I said Daniel Crusoe earlier. Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoy. <laughs> I get it right. Um, it, it, you get to put yourself in that mindset and you go, what, what would it be like to be stranded on an island like that? And I, I remember when I would read scripture as a kid, you'd read scripture and you go, oh, what would it be like to sit there with Abraham in the heat of the day and see three men walk up to his tent and him know who they are? It's like, wow, that is yeah. so freaking cool. Because not only do you have that element in, in, in scripture, you also have this element at play, and here's okay. So here's some, here's another foundational book for me, in, in a sense. Okay. And of course, we've all heard it, the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> yep. By C.S. Lewis. Um, I let's see. I was, what was I three, maybe four when I first heard those stories. Are you heard, serious? Heard, yeah, heard. I did not read oh, them. Oh. My mother read them too. I was going to say. 
You're a four-year-old reading C.S. Lewis? I don't no. care if it's an Arnie. You're no. four years old. No, Thomas Edison, I am not. Thomas Edison actually read The Fall, the Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire at the age of eight or ten, something like that. I was oh, no Thomas Edison. <laughs> but um, uh, my mother read them to me, and then I, I ended up inheriting the box set that I had as that we had as a child, and that um, cool. I still have it to this day. But... Um, there was uh, <clears throat> there was a couple of things that 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 always stood out to me. There's you know this happens especially when it comes to novels, and I, I've even heard people say novels cannot and do not they will never express God's truth. I said, well, you know what? Um, I think in some ways it can. Uh, and so there were two things. One was at the end of uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Lucy is looking at and talking at Aslan. And she's saying, but I don't want to go back. And he says, oh, dear, you've got to right. go back. And besides, you know me there by another name. And that, that just right there, it just goes, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the other one that became went, came for me so connecting to what I said earlier about Abraham was in the last battle, which, let's face it, for a lot of kids, that's not your really <laughs> your go-to for a fun story. Right. It tends to be the more meatier um, of it and more uh, debating a uh, story of them all argumentative but um <clears throat> uh the let's see let me put the story in my head so uh the 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 god of of tash has gone into the little barn the donkey's no longer in there and they start sending people in and they're supposed to be yes. able to go in, and certain people are supposed to be killed because there's a guard right inside the door with a, you know, with a hefty sword, and he's going to cut off, lub off their head. But then there's this one little one warrior from Tashban, and he says, "I will go in there. I have always wanted to see Tosh. I have mm. loved and honored Tosh my entire life." Now, we have to take into account this is C.S. Lewis. This is not scripture. Somebody else is writing this. We don't want to actually put words in God's mouth. But yet we do have scriptural foundation for what happens next. He goes in okay. there, right? He ends up having the fight with the guard because the guards, oh, okay, I'm supposed to lob this guy's head off. He kills the guard and he falls outside the door. And the, and the kid never comes back out, right? But when the Pevensies are put in and, and uh, King uh, Trillian, I think his name was, and, and the unicorn, and they're all shoved into the barn, and they go in there, yeah. and it's not dark, but rather it's it's a whole other landscape. It's brighter, it colors more vivid, and everything. And the boy can actually see it. The the Tosh, the the the, the Kalorman, that's right, the Kalorman soldier can actually see it. And he goes, I, I don't know where I am. What, what's going on here? And then when he when he meets Aslan, Aslan says to him, "You would not have been searching for me if I had not been already searching for you." And you go, okay, so there's some really neat things that we can take away from here. But when it came down to being able to even do that with scripture and be able to say, let me just look at this from a literary perspective. And then from a literary perspective, maybe from more of a realistic, maybe realism's perspective a little bit. Yeah. And it just made the whole Bible just pop wide open for me. Very cool. What's another Very one Very cool. So, um, I was going to share a different one, but, but I'm going to branch off of what you just shared. Um, going off of the, the auspice, you, you made almost more of a side comment 
that some some people say that a novel can't communicate God's truth. Oh, yeah. So I want I want to push back hard against that. Please do. Um, Please do. Because even even okay, my brain wants to do three things and my mouth can only do one at a time. Um, <laughs> but I'm cheap. <laughs> the, there's a reason why so much of scripture is narrative. Mm. Yes, they're true accounts of real people who lived and did real things. Right. But there's a very strong reason why it's narrative in format. Why we get the accounts that we get in the way that we get them. Most, well over two-thirds of the Old Old Testament is narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four accounts of the same guy's life, Jesus, mm-hmm. in the Gospels. And then the letters are not narrative in and of themselves, but they fall within the context of a narrative right. of what's happened in the ancient Near East. And, and as uh, well, the, the book of Acts is narrative. Mm-hmm. And as, as the, act, the acts of the apostles unfolds, you get the different letters at different time points along that, along the timeline of Acts. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Revelation and, and many of the other apocalyptic writings right. are narrative. Yes. Oh, yes. It is intentional. Yes. Jesus used parables on purpose. Right. So you better believe that stories tell the, the, the truth of God actually better than nonfiction. Oh, I would completely agree. And so with that, along those lines, I wasn't going to bring up Ted Decker, but really we can't. <laughs> We can't Here do this without my boy, Buckle up, Ted guys. <laughs> I am a Decker fanatic. If, if anyone listening to the sound of my voice right now has never read a Ted Decker book, please go do it. It truly <laughs> does not matter which one. You can start with any of them. It does not matter. Find yourself a Ted Decker book and go read it. Suspend all of all other plans that you had, call out of work. <laughs> tell your kids to leave you alone for a little bit. Go find a Ted Decker book. They are phenomenal. Okay, so he, Decker is a fantastic novelist, has a, a, an amazing perspective. Um, he himself grew up as a missionary kid. Mm-hmm. Um, rough experiences in that way. Um, so he writes a lot of novels, um, but but the book in line with the topic you were just speaking on, he wrote a one of his few nonfictions mm. is called um, the the slumber of Christianity. Christianity. Yeah, right. Yep. Go, listeners, please go find a copy of the slumber of Christianity. I happen to know it's on Audible. Um, it, it does a fantastic job of explaining why the human heart listens to story. Mm-hmm. I mean, even let's talk, let's get rid of, of the, let's set aside the conversation about scripture for just a moment. When we hear about the news media in our day, you hear about controlling the narrative. That's on purpose because we, we are narrative beings. Yeah. God, the author of everything wrote it all down in it. Advance, but we live it one page at a time, one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Our our future is pre-recorded. 
scripture makes no qualms about that. But we experience it one page at a time. So, so we were created for story. Nonfiction is, gets to our head. Story, whether fiction or nonfiction, gets to our heart. And so uh, in, in um, The Slumber of Christianity, he talks about how in mainstream Western Christianity, we've, we've very significantly downplayed the, significant, the, the importance and the power of narrative and of story. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I'll just share this one thing that he, he shared, is he, talk, he talks to his son and he says, son, I'm going to paint, paint a scenario for you. And I want you to tell me what you would do. Let's say that an alien spacecraft lands in our backyard and a bunch of little green men come out and they see you and they say, you are the one we have been searching for. We have looked across the stars for, for our hero. You are the one that can help us. Will you come with us and, and rescue us from our oppressors or whatever it is? And he, he looks at his son and he asks, will you go with them? And the, he doesn't even really have to think about it very long. If I, if I remember the story correctly, he doesn't have to give it much consideration. He goes, I love you, dad, but yes, I'm leaving. I'm going with them. <laughs> and, and so Ted Decker I'm takes that, right? <laughs> he takes that interaction with his son and he says, we have an even better story that we have been invited to be a part of. Mm. And we have lost so much of the grandeur of it. Mm -hmm. Little green men, it, God himself stepped into our book, the book of our timeline, of our, of our lives, right. the book of human history, and became one of the characters himself and invited us along on the journey with him. And call it the lullaby effect, call it, call it whatever you want, but we have lost so much of the power of just the facts of scripture mm -hmm. and how absurd and how novel it is. What, what other pantheon of gods, what other religion has a story like that, where God became one of the characters of the story, not just sitting on his clouds out of, and spitefully zapping people he disagrees with, but lovingly and affectionately becoming one of, one of them and, and inviting them to the most amazing adventure ever and, li and literally into happily ever after oh, yeah. so i i love ted decker's writings all of his books that i've read i think i now own all of his books i haven't read them all yet but May i think I, I now in more format than one <laughs> yes a couple of the books i have both paper and kindle yeah i will oh, admit oh, that and the audiobook <laughs> and audiobooks yes yes yes, but... yes, yes, yes. <laughs> But if folks, he, he will. So having been a bookseller, I've had people walk up. I actually had one guy walk up to me in a church lobby and goes, dude, come on. I, I need I need a 500 page or maybe something. Come on. And he's rubbing his nose like he's he's an addict. He's going, I got to I got to get something good from you, buddy. And, give, and, give me and my the, fix, man. Yeah. And this guy in the lobby turns around and goes, Josiah, what are you selling? <laughs> and so. I'll get, I, I've gotten calls from, from Matt before he goes, okay, dude, I, I, I've got this book. I, I, I really need to find it. Come on, come on, help me find this book. Yep. <laughs> and it's usually a yep. Ted Decker book. <laughs> usually, usually. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I made, 
just I made Josiah a business card prank <laughs> prank gift business card called the book and and uh the book detective and yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so we back and forth on books or on the topic of books for quite a while so <laughs> yeah oh man oh folks it's so much fun to be able to connect over books whether you're connecting over i don't know baseball cards pogs yeah. i remember pogs when i was a kid and those were a big big connecting point but books aren't they timeless they are so oh, timeless and 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 we can sit here and uh, it sounds like we can do this for hours so we're not going to do that yes. but we're definitely going to continue this thread through as we go along with our podcast and just talk about books that um we've read recently as a matter of fact i'll go ahead and add one right now um and sure. it's actually a novel series uh, it's a novel series that's not very commonly known about um I will, I will add for the record, um, so when I had my bookstore, um, I, there were two things I was very passionate about. Usually booksellers have specialties, specialties excuse me, that they're very good at. And my interests, I wouldn't quite say I got to a specialist level, but I got my interests were radio dramas and Christian fantasy, specifically fantasy. Yeah. And um, we all know about C.S. Lewis. We know about Tolkien. Tolkien's uh, last book that he printed, I believe, was in 1956. And from 1956 to 1980, we've got silent years, so to speak, on Christian fantasy or if anything that sort that could be categorized that way. I haven't been able to find a single publisher that has any catalog record of anything being printed in that year. I would love to be proven wrong because I would love to get my hands on that book. And I think it would be just a blast to read it. Anyways, um, years ago, um, I already knew about this author by a trilogy he wrote called The Singer's Trilogy. Calvin Miller was a pastor in the Midwest. He, he died not too long ago. And um, The Singer Trilogy is a beautiful, poetic um, setup of retelling the gospel in just a beautiful way. Calvin... He just had an amazing grasp of words and how to use them. But he also enjoyed The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So, not to be too plagiaristic, which he really didn't, he came up with this, uh, these, these people. Um, oh, come on, I know their names. But they're, they're Hobbit-like-ish, but there's definitely different traits. Uh, there's the Grey okay. Gills, there's the Black Gills, there's the Red Gills. And so it's usually this short, short, very short person that has uh, a different colored hair and beard that goes along with it. Now, if there's anything <laughs> we the from Triple B are definitely into, it's definitely beards. But anyway, yes. Calvin Miller beards wrote... Beards and books. Yes. So Calvin Miller wrote a trilogy called The Singerial Chronicles. And um, uh, the, these, the, the, the Singerial Chronicles is, was republished in the 90s. Um, through Crossway Books, but they really didn't get much traction. Mostly because mm. the Christian culture, as I've sometimes monologued to Matt, um, uh, always kind of kind of had a really negative response to fantasy, especially with C.S. Lewis, because even the Lord, the Lord, I mean, uh, excuse me, the, the Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. Uh, one of the first questions was, how could you ever bring a witch into? Mm. A story about Jesus. Well, I would go as far as well. One of my common arguments is that, well, why did Saul go to the witch of Endor? Why did God even mention that in the Bible? So, right. 
with that said, um, Christian fantasy is the only account of witchcraft and occultism in scripture. Oh, of course. Yeah, exactly. It isn't. And so we we may have this idea about a a certain uh, genre or fantasy type or, or even book style that it may seem more appropriate given whatever your faith is or your religion or your, your, your political perspective, whatever that may be. And that's okay. That really is. But, um, when I found these books, oh man, it was, it was like, oh, <laughs> I felt like Indiana Jones. I just found, I just found, um, the, the, the cup in the last crusaders. I, I found it. I found it. Um, and, and I recently reread them and, um, mm. <clears throat> it was, it was, it was a story based on this guy. He was a welder and he was always building things and, and um, how eventually he, he's riding on what's known as the tilt winds. You could even climb up on top of these cliffs and the wind would come shooting up those cliffs. And then he, he and his buddy, he would, they would jump out on that and it would shoot them up and they'd start flying over their, um, the valley with these makeshift kind of wing things that they wore. And just, just really kind of fun. But then Calvin would have these ways of going just a little deeper, kind of digging in a little bit of going, well, why would this king strip naked and walk into a cave and not be seen again for a while? And how would that actually help the storyline? What purpose would that serve? Mm -hmm. And yet you have this other creature that you could correlate it to Gollum, but it's not Gollum in any way, shape or form. It has a funny way of talking but then it's still trying to make some sense. Whereas Gollum, he's just talking to himself. Right. <laughs> right. But this, this new creature in the book, it's going around and it's destroying these enemy soldiers that are giants and they've got all these power, all this physical power. And yet this thing, it's rolling practically in a ball. You could almost manage, manage, um, imagine uh, Sonic the Hedgehog kind of going, rolling through his, his landscape, just taking these guys out. But, um, Oof. Uh, I, I get, getting back to my original point with all this is that um, the element of Christian fantasy, as Matt was was pointing out, was that there is very um, in specific ways that narrative does impact the human heart. It can reach past certain things that we usually have in us that other things can't reach past. Songs can do that. Smells can yeah. even do that to the to, to when you what's called flipping your lid. And so these these stories, especially the parables, they have a way of piercing. And you can imagine yourself being the prodigal son. Sure. You could even imagine yourself being one of these soils. But what story ends up doing is is that it ends up providing pictures that you can relate to. And the fantasy elements are just those it's either they, they, I found they kind of serve only usually two purposes. One, it's either a fun way of, of, of doing a narrative, but two, yeah. these fantasy characters end up taking on a reality of their own and a message of their own that can still speak to us, even if it's something like, let's say, um, Farland. Uh, what was his name? Farland. He had these very i can't remember the name of the book but on the cover they had these very large creatures that had hair all over them they kind of look like a troll but not quite and so they look familiar but then they don't and so that's what fantasy characters tend to do um 
And yeah. Matt has been so gracious with me over the years. I remember one time, it was probably 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> he calls me up and we start chatting. <laughs> and, and I start telling him about dwarves <laughs> and Christian fantasy. And next thing I know, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm talking too much about this. He goes, no, no, keep going. I love it. I just want to sit here and listen. What was that, an hour? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, it was more than that. I practically give a <laughs> lecture at this point about dwarves and fantasy and everything like that. But um, I, I can't help but wonder what would happen. And I would hate to think what would happen if books were removed. You got 1984, mm -hmm. um, among others about arts being removed from life and, and, and what that mm -hmm. ends up looking like. But I remember, if I can go off on a side story here, I, I remember when I was, uh, I was a teacher, I was, uh, I was working with special needs kids at an elementary school. Now, I'm, I'm fessing up to something. Hopefully the, t the statute of limitations is up on this so I won't get <laughs> in trouble. But um, you're not supposed to proselytize on school you know, school grounds. Um, I had this one, one kid, uh, and I won't, I won't go into all the details. It's, it's really, it's a good story, but it's a long one. But anyways, um, when I first sat down with him, he could not focus at all. So I saw mm -hmm. he had a little dinosaur sitting next to him and there's posters around the room that have dinosaurs. on. I said, so what, what's your favorite creature? He goes, oh, I love dinosaurs. And he said, <laughs> This is an eight-year-old boy, and you know he loves dinosaurs when you've said the right word, and boom, he's gone. He's talking about this, that, and the other. And so um, uh, he was actually given an assigned teacher, and so I'm only supposed to be with him for an hour that day. And so mm. I said, I tell you what, I tell you what, how about I tell you a story? Okay, okay. So I start telling him this story because he also said he loved dragons about a boy who goes through a picture into this other world, goes on this long boat trip, and during that boat trip, he gets turned into a dragon. So as I'm telling this story, I'm creating cliffhangers. And he goes, what happened next? What happened next? I said, well, I tell you what, if you do that side of the, the work paper, I'll tell you more. Okay, okay, okay. And so he'd do the work, and he'd be all done. He'd flip it over and says, okay, done. And he'd get back in his position. Like, what's my, what's my, what's my, what's my? Um... Eventually, we, uh, I ended up getting permanently assigned to this kid. Just a great kid. He really was. And so we went up to the, the school library. We found Voyage of the Dawn Treader, part of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And we start reading it together. And we're doing that in conjunction with our schoolwork. And uh, we get to the end of the story. And we're sitting on the blacktop. This is two, two, the, the, let's see. Yeah, the day before the end of school. And he's sitting there. And he says, hey, Mr. Marshall, um, you, you, you said that in, in the story that Aslan was known by another name in our world. I said, yes, I did. What's that name? And as I said, I even sat there for a second going, do I do this? So we're sitting on the blacktop and I'm deciding, okay, am I going to break federal law in doing this and telling this kid this name? And I thought, you know what? I'm not coming back next school year. Tomorrow's the last day. Let's, okay, I'll do it. So I do told it. him, the name is Jesus. He goes, really? Oh, okay. Now, one of the things in that conversation was, is that he was the one asking all the questions. And he was asking the right questions. This eight little eight-year-old boy 
just sitting there. Nobody on the playground wanted to play with them. And even then, when they'd said, come play with them, they, they, they would kick him away and says, no, you know what, leave me alone, don't play with them. So he's sitting there next to me, and we're talking about this, and he's asking all these questions. And I get to the end of asking his questions, and he asked one final question that pierced me to the core. And, he, and after watching this kid and watching how the other kids interacted with him and everything, he looked at me and says, Mr. Marshall, do you think Jesus would be friends with me? Uh. And I looked at him and said, yeah, he would. And then he asked the other most important question, well, how do I become friends with him? Mm. Um, he, uh, again, I'm sitting there going, do I do this? And I decided, you know what? Um, I have, uh, scripture outlines for us that we are to honor our leaders, our, 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 our uh, governmental leaders, and we're to obey the laws that, that they establish. But at this point, I realized this is something I need to say. And um, so I said it. And I walked him through a very simple prayer. Uh, so the last day of school comes around, and he and I go separate ways. Uh, about a month later, I'm walking through the grocery store, and I hear my, I hear, Mr. Marshall, Mr. Marshall. I'm like, okay, well, where's this coming? And then, bam, I get hit in the middle. <laughs> and I've got... I look down and there, there's my old student and he's just wrapped himself around me. I'm like, Oh, mm. Hey, Hey guy. And, um, this, this woman walks up and she goes, are you Mr. Marshall? I said, yes. And he's still latched on to me <laughs> at this point. And she goes, Oh, I cannot, I cannot tell you what a difference that story has made in his life. He finally pulls back. And she also says, I cannot get him to leave the house without these two books in his hands. He has to carry them with him. He has to. Oh. In one hand, he's got the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In the other okay. hand, he's got the Bible. Oh. And she looked at me and she told me that for years they had been trying to work with him because he was a problem student at the school and somewhat of a problem child. And she says, for years, we, we would take him to church, pray over him. We'd try to find ways of communicating to him. And um, she just looked at me and just said, thank you. You've, you've changed my kid's life. And I said, well, I appreciate that. But really, I didn't change his life. God did that. Jesus yeah. did that. And so even though I said earlier that some people don't believe that truth can be expressed in novel form, it, it does, and it does every day. Your testimony is a novel, novel form. It is a narrative that even scripture would say would cause us to overcome Satan. And while that context is even more specific about uh, types of people in, a, in, the, uh, in, a, in a, an apocalyptic setting, when we get to share what God has done in our lives in a way that's mm -hmm. expressed through story, it can do nothing other than connect with other people. It may not connect. And here's the funny thing. It may not connect with the person in the way you're thinking it will, right? Or the person that you're actually talking to. I was talking with somebody one time at a, at a table, and next thing I know, the person behind me going, that was a great story. I was like, oh, oops, sorry. I didn't mean to be talking so loud. And they said, no, you weren't really talking loud, but you were just so <laughs> emphatic. I just, I had to listen in. Turns out he was an awesome. OTR truck driver, over-the-road truck driver, so he's doing long distance. And he's like, 
It was just so amazing to walk into a, a, a truck stop in the middle of nowhere, Utah, and hear somebody so passionately talking about the Bible. I was like, awesome. well, guilty as charged. But um, uh, but when it when it comes to books, you can see the the enthusiasm and excitement that that Matt and I have, and this is just this is just a ball to be able to bring this topic up because this is definitely one. As I said, we could talk for hours, but I think what do you think we limit to one more book each, and then we can we'll conclude this episode. What do you think? Sure. Okay. That sounds good. The little kid inside me going yippee! He agreed to one more. <laughs> yeah, one more. Okay, so I'm gonna cheat and do two more, but, but they're a set. I love it. Yes. So, so um, want to want to throw out a, a relationship or a couple's one. Mm, so, okay. Um, there's a, a lady named Shanti Feldham, and she she's a pretty prolific relationship marriage author author in the Christian world, um, and she authored one of the two books and then she and her husband jeff authored the other and so these two books are for men only and for women only Mm. and they are terrific tiny little books easy quick reads 100 percent research backed on uh helping each gender understand how the other is wired how god created the other so that so that we can understand and relate to each other better. So um, my wife and I went through those early, early in our marriage, just, just to start off on the right foot. And, uh, and if, so if anybody decides to, my advice would be go through those books with your spouse mm. and do it out loud. Mm. So if you're reading for family, husbands you read it out loud to your wife and you'll get to a section where it shares with you the the survey that was put forth to ladies Mm -hmm. uh one of the questions asked early in the book is uh would you rather be loved or respected very Mm -hmm. common question in in marriage uh marriage research but in this book it actually says 80 something percent of women responded this way 10% 10% responded that way. And then the rest said, can't decide between. And so over and over and over through these books, you get to see how most ladies responded. But guys, if you're going through for men only, you were reading it out loud to your wife, ask her that question. How would you respond to this? Most ladies responded. And so when we did this, my wife and I did this, um, she was able to say, you know, I, I understand why most would respond this way, but for me, it's more like this or Yes, totally, 100% on board with those other ladies, uh, and then vice versa. So um, if you and your spouse get these books, you can do one chapter of each uh, and then reading it back and forth and asking the questions or, or work through the books. They're great books, really, really, un, really helps to understand the other gender. So so that's my final one for the, for today. Oh, you said final two. two. You said two. Yeah, but they go together. Come on now. You got to give me that one, especially because it's already done. What are you going to do about it? Sure. Yeah. All right. What's your final one, Josiah? Bush aglow. You know what? Bush aglow. Sounds like Moses. (laughs) It kind of does, doesn't it? Um, Let's see here. Uh, It was a 
biography. It was written about uh, D.L. Moody. Oh. Uh, and it was written by a guy named, uh, let's see here, I'm trying to find Commoner of the North. No. I can't find the author. But it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, oh, uh, Richard Ellsworth is the guy's name. Bush Aglow. Now, when I was a kid, biographies for me were, were a very big deal, and they still are to this day. But this book ended up really um, nailing me in some ways, uh, mostly on some humble meter settings, because some of the life events of, of, of D.L. Moody were not, were some, at some points, just outright miraculous, if not supernatural. It was really quite phenomenal just how some things worked out for him. But um, and and even even the story about how he got how how he accepted Jesus is is even one for the books. And you just go, wow, wow. He's he's working in a shoe store, and the Sunday school teachers pacing up up and down outside the store, and he can't. He's having a hard time doing this, but he finally just gets the courage up. He goes in there, he tells DL, and DL does it. He's like, oh wow, this is great. I was worrying for nothing. <laughs> but um. This book just it, it really it really captured some life moments for me that that I, I, I was in some ways wanting to have, but at the same time it already had. And so it helped me acknowledge some of those events and see them in a different perspective than what they were, because D.L. was a gross, I would say, grossly undereducated simply because he had less than a fourth grade education. However, much like uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, e even Apostle Peter was was even found to be uh, not necessarily a scholar. Even his education level was very, very low. But yet he was using very a high form of Greek in writing his books. And you go, whoa, okay, so how could this guy, this commoner, end up using such sophisticated um, formal language? And... Uh, and the same could be said for D.L. Moody, because at the same time, I, I was always, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I, you know, kids just say mean things to one another, and I was always told things, and I don't need to rehash them now. But when reading this book, I realized that what I've always perceived the trajectory of my life going doesn't always have to be the blueprint. Things can change. Things can happen differently. They can even look differently. And as a result, it can become my story. Yeah. And so that book, really foundationally speaking, ended up just nailing me into some of these events where I thought, no, I don't want to think of them. And then I could think of them again in a completely different way. Mm. And I think, that, I think that's amazing. Um, and then since he said two books, I'll say one more book. <laughs> hey, mine were related. <laughs> well, this is actually kind of related. Um, okay. Oh my! Come on, I can think. Uh, his name, the name was just Mueller. escaped it. His name was Mueller, and he he uh, he was the uh, he ran a, a an orphanage in in England, and um, yes, he was he was a fascinating guy. And just reading his book, I have this little book that I re read of his. And it, it, he, he was the one that wrote it. Um, and I can't believe I, I, 
I guess we've been working our brains so much. My, my brain's kind of having brain farts at the moment. <laughs> but anyways, okay. it's just this tiny little book. And it's amazing. Even Matt brought this up earlier. It's amazing how some of these more tiny, not very long little books can have such a huge impact. And here's Mueller telling these stories about how they'd wake up, they'd sit down at the breakfast tables, all these long tables that you kind of see, you know, out of Dickens stories and everything. And uh, they would pray for pray for breakfast, but the pantry was empty. They didn't have any food. And they'd sit there, and, and, and some of the teachers and some of the staff would get a little nervous, saying, Mr. Mueller, what, what, couldn't we just, you know, kind of get him going? Just, just sit here for a minute. Let's just... Let's just sit here. We just prayed. Let's just sit here and trust God. And there were days where they would, after a while, they'd just get up and they'd go over along with their day. But then there were those mornings. There was one morning he's sitting there and um, he's 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 praying. And the, the, the cooks have already told him, you know, we're out of everything. Nothing's in the pantry. You might as well eat, eat, eat cobwebs. <laughs> and uh, they pray. And then they, he said, again, he just says, okay, let's just stand here. Let's just stay here for a minute. And then there was a knock at the door, and he says, why don't you go answer that? Now, Mueller is is not a fortune teller. He had no clue who was at the door, but he of has course. a relationship with God. He's going, God, I know what's at the door because I, I know you. And this guy knocks on the door, and he says, um, hi, um, excuse me, my my wagon just broke down out here and I've got all this milk in the back and it's about to, I don't want it to spoil and I'd rather not just, you know, throw it into the ditch. You, you want it? You can use it. Yeah, sure. Bring it on in. We'd be, we'd be glad to take it. And that Ooh. same day, not too long after they get all the milk inside and then there's another dot knock at the door and this guy walks up and says, and he's got his hat in his hands and he's kind of crumpling it up. It's kind of the same picture you see with Jimmy Stewart in some of those older movies where he's just so nervous around women. He's just fumbling, especially in uh, Mr. Uh, uh, George Washington. Uh, good grief. One of those movies. Anyways, my, my, my brain's <laughs> trying to do three things at once. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> one mouth. So anyways, this guy knocks on the door and says, uh, Mr. Mueller, um, I, I, so I, I, I can't explain it, sir, but in the middle of the night, I, I woke up and I just felt compelled to just start making bread and and as i'm making it i i, re- I start thinking about you guys and um so anyways i've got all this bread here can, can i give it to you is that okay and mr Mueller went oh we'd be blessed to take your bread and those were some of the mornings that they would experience and i'm reading this book and i'm crying my eyes out going, <laughs> god you would bring food to Elijah with the birds and you're bringing food to the mouths of these babies. Yeah. And we've got these, for me, it was, it was the realization. I've got all these grand aspirations of doing these great things for the Lord and what they can look like and the prestige and the, the acknowledgement and all this jazz. And here's just a simple man who saw orphan children during his time and day his historical period and he's going i want to help take care of those kids and even the the story of how he got the building how everything got set up was just humbling to where you go you know what i cannot even fail if i don't even try yeah and so here's a guy who's just simply stepping out in faith and just doing a simple thing of going that kid's sitting in the ditch i don't want to have to sit there and be hungry 
we actually try to do this? Boom, everything just fell into place. And Mueller's book, for a long time, that book, I would read that book at least once a year. And it's just, yeah. oh, it was just, it's a beautiful story. So, Excellent. with that said, folks, we're going to come to the end of probably our longest podcast yet. <laughs> probably. <laughs> You get oh you get you get bibliophiles talking about books. You might as well just buckle up and just grab some popcorn and sit back and just enjoy the show. <laughs> or, or send us an email with some of your favorite books. Exactly, exactly. Bearded so, Bible Brothers at gmail .com. We yep. would love to hear what's on your reading list. Um, some of the books that we've talked about that you also loved or that you look forward to reading tell us about some of your favorite books we would love to join with you in this conversation now so thank for, you for tuning in i have to say this i'm sorry before we end for copyright reasons yeah. i have to declare we we are not the authors of any of these books we hold no copyrights to these books they are the property of their their authors and of the publishing houses that still own the copyrights to these books so please do not take this as any way of us having owned or have any legal standing of being able to own or operate with any of the literature that we've discussed this is simply right. two two guys having a conversation about things that they enjoy reading so with that said absolutely god bless we'll see you next time <laughs>